We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 30 this morning. If you have a Bible, if you haven't, don't worry, I'm going to read it. And uh, really just kind of want to talk into this kind of season that we're in again as a church where um, lots of transitions are happening all over the place. And I guess the idea is to, to try and keep us on the front line, on the front foot of all the as, as much as we know, we know that all over the world God's doing amazing things and, you know, there are even, you know, in, close to home in this city, God is doing incredible things. But as far as we know, as far as God has revealed to us, we want to make sure that we are on the front foot, living on the front line and, and, uh, and pursuing Him. And uh, I guess the changes are kind of intended to make uh, all that uh, possible, but yet kind of at, at, at the same time, how, how, do you, how do we live on the front line successfully? Um, how, do we, how do we live as a family that, that kind of goes to war, I suppose, against the enemy and, and live in that advanced front line place and yet still be a family, that's, that's a big question, and, and we're kind of trying to figure that one out. And uh, this chapter, I think, says some very helpful things for us. So we're going to be, um, as I say, in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Why don't we just pray? You know, maybe it's just me who needs it this morning, but let's pray anyway. <laughs> Lord Jesus, thank you that you're here. I thank you that you, you love us, Lord. You're so committed to your people and to each one of us as individuals. You know exactly where we are, Lord. And your heart is to bless us this morning, God, and bring us into greater freedom and greater joy to restore us more than ever to the original image that you created us in, Lord, the image of your Son. Holy Spirit, we, we invite you, we welcome you again into our hearts this morning to speak to us, to do wonderful things among us this morning. We need you, Lord. You're so good. You're so good. Why don't you just welcome him? Just take a moment and say... God, speak to me this morning. Okay, so um, this uh, part of the Bible, um, it happens just before David uh, becomes king. Of course, he was anointed when he was just a little boy, really, um, and uh, when Samuel came to his house and Jesse, his dad, had helpfully not bothered inviting him uh, because he assumed that he was just a nobody and uh, nobody would want anything to do with him and he couldn't possibly be the one that the great prophets come to see. Uh, but it turned out, because God's like that uh, and looks on the heart uh, and not on the externals, that, um, that actually David was precisely the one 
that he had come for. And so he was anointed king from when he was a little boy, but it took him years, um, years and years, uh, to get to the point where he actually sat on the throne of Israel. And, and this, this story comes actually just before that point. And, and after many years of kind of running around in the wilderness, trying not to get killed, um, just kind of doing action man type stuff really with his mighty men <laughs> and, and this is just before so he's, he's the point is that he's living on the front line and he's been used to living on the front line and and this is a story about a group of people who are trying to live I think as family but still on the front line of God's purposes Okay, so chapter 30, verse 1. Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag, which is the city that they had been living in, on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. And they had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but they carried them off and went on their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. And then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. There's a cheery bit of scripture, eh? <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> uh, but <clears throat> this story, don't worry, it's going to end a lot better than it starts. Um, just in case you're wondering. It always does. Um, the point is this, though. When, that when you are living on the front line... Sometimes difficult things happen. Isn't that true? In fact, it's probably equally true to say that when you're not living on the front line, difficult things happen. It's probably just true to say that in life, you will have trouble. I'm sure I've heard that somewhere before. <laughs> that, that just difficult things happen in life sometimes. And and in this story, David and his men are out doing what they believe the will of God to be. You know, they're kind of looking in this direction. And they come home to find that actually while their backs have been turned, the enemy has ransacked their home and, and taken everything, everything that they had from them, including their, their wives, their children. All their wealth is gone. And it is true to say that actually when, when difficult things happen, often it is that experience that we, we experience it as loss. As though something has been robbed of us. Opportunities that, that we wanted to pursue, dreams that we had, we experience it as disappointment and it's, and it's loss fundamentally. It's, it's an idea, a dream that we had, a future that we saw, a path that, that we imagined ourselves taking. And, and when that is, we turn our backs 
having thought that we were doing what you know, God wanted us to be doing and discover that well, our backs are turned, the enemy snuck in and he's stolen it from us and we experience that as a deep and profound loss to the point where the people with David wept until they had no more strength to weep. These were strong and mighty men. Okay? They could not have been in any way described as crybabies. Okay? You know, these, they were not kind of West End hipsters like me. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? I can moan, I can moan for three or two or three days about stubbing my toe. You know, I mean, really, ask my wife. <laughs> they were not men who were just kind of knocked down by a bout of man flu. These were like... That's going to come across well on the tape, isn't it? <laughs> they were like... <laughs> but here... Here they are weeping until... They had no more strength to weep. They'd experienced loss. Life on the front line can sometimes be hard. It's just a reality. David's two wives had also been taken captive. And David was greatly distressed. You can't blame him. But why? For the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. And what happened in this situation is that these mighty men who had been with David, and, and actually if you read back in the story you realise that they were, they were really just a bunch of nobodies when David found them or when they found David and over the, the years that he'd known them he'd kind of turned them into this extraordinary band of brothers who did incredible feats of daring and courage and they had I mean there's story after story of for example of, of um, David just saying one day oh you know I'm a bit thirsty and, you know, I just wish I had a drink and a couple of these mighty men fighting their way through a whole army to get to a well so that they could draw him some water and then fighting their way back so he could get a drink. You know, this incredible brotherhood, this incredible um, connection that they had with each other, loyalty. And yet in this moment, because of their great distress... They turn on him. I mean, everything that they have, they've got because of this guy. But I guess in that moment, they forget about that. And they think, there's got to be someone who we can blame around here. (laughs) I mean, isn't that... People can be like, we can be I can be like this. You can be like this. The world is like this, that... You know, in crisis, when difficult things happen, often our solution is find the guy at the top and kill him. 
you know, or, or, or at least, you know, destroy them in some way. You know, this is the way our political system works. It's the way our media operates. It's the way our football teams operate. <laughs> Find the guy at the top and get rid of him. He's the problem. And it's a huge, it's a huge danger when you're living on the front line where difficult things have the potential to happen, and they do. That when they do, we turn round and in our great distress, blame someone else. But, it says in verse 6, David strengthened himself in the Lord. And this, I mean, that is like, that's the big but in this story. That's, that's, that's the hinge of this tale. You know, it, started, it starts badly, and to be honest, it would have ended badly. But for this but. <laughs> but David strengthened himself in the Lord. That in that moment where everybody else was looking for someone to blame, and I guess David could have passed this up the chain of command, this blame. Do you know what I mean? Like everybody else was kind of passing the blame up a rank, and then it eventually came to David, and let's kill him. And David could easily have turned around and thought, well, who's, I mean, I'm in charge of this thing. I don't, God. It's your fault. And he could have directed his bitterness towards God. Listen, I thought we were out on the front line. We were doing this for you. And, you know, I'm supposed to be king by now anyway. <laughs> and this is your fault. And, you know, these people that you've given me, you know, they're... They were, I thought I was getting somewhere with them. And now they want to kill me. But somehow, and this is what great leaders do, he, he stops that passing of the buck. He, he, it stops with him. Or, or that, that kind of um, cycle, destructive cycle of bitterness and blame. Bitterness and blame. But, and it, and he stops it. And instead of passing it on up the line to God, it's almost like he takes it, absorbs it. And he turns to God. And who knows what he... The worship that in that secret place. He strengthens himself in that moment in God. And the whole story, the whole story, not just for him but for all the people that are with him. And in fact, a couple of chapters later, it's clear for the whole of God's people, the whole nation of Israel hinges on that decision. Not to blame. Not to pass it on down the line. And David said to Abiathar, the, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. 
So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake, and you shall surely rescue. So David set out with the 600 men who were with him. Now, something has clearly happened is, I mean, the text gives us just enough detail. But, you know, a couple of verses later, these guys had rocks in their hands. You know, we're going to stone them. Two verses later, after David has strengthened himself in the Lord, they're going with them into battle. <laughs> I mean, public opinion can swing like that sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, but what has happened is that David, because of the kind of man he is, because of the kind of leader that he is, he has got them to look up from the rock that is in their hand to see a destiny in front of them. To see, he's, he's given them back a vision fundamentally of, of who they are. You know, he said to them, come on guys. This isn't who you are. You're mighty men. You know, we're, we're a band of brothers. We don't, this isn't what we do. This isn't who we are. This isn't who you are. You see, what he could have done is, he could have got defensive. And he could have said, listen, I'm in charge round here. And you better start listening to me. He could have got defensive and he could have got angry and he could have, maybe he even could have got them to put the rocks down and listen and obey him. He could have pulled rank. But, but instead, he gets them to look up from their blame and see, he gets them back into their destiny. And sometimes when you live on the front line and you take a few hits, you need people around you who can help you to look up from the rock that you've just picked up and you're aiming. And see, look, no, 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 this isn't who you are. You're a mighty man. You're a mighty woman of God. This is, you're made to fight battles. Let's go and get this stuff back. And let's still waste our time blaming each other. <laughs> so David set out 600, the 600 who were with him, and he came to the brook of Besor, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook. Two, so they, he had 600 guys, okay? My goodness, if I was going to get my stuff back against a horrible enemy, I would want to take all 600. <laughs> you know, I don't care if you're tired, you're coming. <laughs> you know what I mean? What do you mean you're tired? You know, listen, I'm going, you're going. That's, that's definitely what I would have done. 
definitely. <laughs> but I, I want you to notice that he doesn't do that. Four, 200 of them. And again, these are not crybabies. So we have to assume that they were genuinely exhausted. They weren't just thinking, well, didn't quite get my eight hours last night, you know. And, you know, I've, I've recorded some great programs. You know, what I really want to do is watch a bit of Netflix. I'll stay here. You know, you, we've got to assume that it wasn't like that. That these men were genuinely exhausted. But even so, I would have been like, listen guys, I'm going to get, we're going to go and fight a war here. We're going to, we need everyone. You know, we're getting everybody's stuff back, including yours. So suck it up. <laughs> and let's get going. That is definitely, oh, that's almost exactly what I would have said. <laughs> that is exactly what I would have said. <laughs> but David says, you're, ex oh, you're exhausted, you stay. That's a confident man. That's a man who knows God has spoken to him. Surely, pursue, for surely you shall overtake, and surely you shall rescue. He's not worried. You get the feeling he would just he would go on his own if he had to. Keep that in mind for the next part. They found an Egyptian in the open country, and they brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate. They gave him water to drink, and they gave him a piece of cake, of a cake of figs and a cluster of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived. For he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. My master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. You see the contrast between the enemy and the people of God? The enemy discards people who no longer have a function. You're sick. You can't do what I'm paying you to do. We'll leave you behind. You know, we know that probably David's going to find out and probably David's going to pursue us and, mate, I'm afraid your number's up. They're probably going to find you and you're probably going to die. But you're sick and we can't afford to carry you. So you just stay here and die. You see the difference? Now, tragically... There are times when the people of God, because they don't really, they've forgotten who they are, can behave like this. People have a function and a role. And listen, we're in it as long as we're all performing that function. As, we're all, as long as we've all, you know, turning up on time. But when you get sick or difficult things happen in life or something just out with your control, 
Mate, we're, we're moving on. Like, we've got a mission. This, this is God's mission. This is more important than you. I'm afraid you're just going to have to wait behind. See ya. But friends, that's how the enemy behaves. The enemy leaves people by the side of the road abandoned, sick, because they see people not with the dignity of that God sees them, but just as functions. You fulfill a role in the second you can't, well, you're not of no value anymore. It should not be that way in the people of God. And for David, it's not. What's amazing is that this, this is a, a young man who was serving the enemy. He was serving the enemy. He was in that raiding band that stole everything that David had. I mean, you could imagine that the mighty men with him may have wanted to string this young guy up. We've got one of them. You know, I mean, and let's just now, all the anger that we have been feeling for the last few days, let's really take it out on him. But somehow, David manages to protect him. He saves his life. He feeds him. He brings, almost brings him back from the dead. And he says, the young man said, we had made a raid against the Jeb, the Cherethites, and against that which belongs to Judah, against the Negeb of Caleb and we burned Ziklag with fire. There's the confession. And David said to him, will you take me down to this band? And he said, swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master and I will take you down to this band. Somehow, David saves his life, restores him, and wins his trust. To the point where this young man who had served the enemy is now saying, I want to be with you. Promise, just promise me you won't kill me and I'll give you my life. And when he had taken him down, behold, they, that's the Amalekites, were spread over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of the Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. Why does that sound comical? <laughs> David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. And David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. 
The mission of God is restoration. You know, when, when difficult things happen, we experience them as loss. But the, the purposes of God are always to restore. And not just to restore in part, but to restore all. Not a single thing that has been lost remains so. It is all recovered. Every disappointment is reversed. Every broken heart is bound up. Every sin is cancelled. Every mistake is reversed. Every disappointment is turned to joy. Every sorrow. Every moment that should have been and wasn't is. His heart is for total, total restoration that you get your stuff back. In its entirety. That's the real battle that we're in. Isn't it? If if they'd wasted their time blaming each other, they would never have realised that the, the point is to get the stuff back. The point, you see, the enemy comes to steal, steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus has come that we may have life. And that is the point. And how often do we waste our time on things that aren't the point? That we get our stuff back. That the world is restored to what it was supposed to be like. David brought back everything. David also captured the flocks and the herds. And the people drove the livestock before him saying, this is David's spoil. And then, David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David. And they had been left by the brook of Besor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. I wonder how they felt. I mean, they were obviously maybe slightly less tired than they were. You know, they'd had a good night's sleep. Maybe they just felt a little bit, I don't know, a bit embarrassed. Like, oh, is this going to be okay? I mean, maybe I should have been. I I couldn't, but I I probably should have. Maybe they felt a bit guilty. You know, after all, it was their women and children out there as well, but, you know just a bit ashamed maybe they're supposed to be mighty men and they missed their mighty moment (laughs) and when David came near to the people he greeted them but then all the wicked and worthless fellows lovely quaint expression Sure, that's what they called each other in that moment. You wicked and worthless fellow. <laughs> you just suddenly, you know, 
put on tights and became Shakespearean actors. <laughs> Wicked and worthless fellow. <laughs> imagine the imagine the Glaswegian version. In fact, <laughs> in fact, don't you're in church. Wicked and worthless fellows among David who had gone with David said this because they did not go with us we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered except because we're being nice even though they don't deserve anything except that each man may have his wife and children okay that's it be grateful and then depart it's all you're getting what's amazing is that these guys I mean man alive public opinion swings round all over the place in the story these were the guys who had just won an amazing victory they were I mean they were courageous Incredible, amazing men. But in this moment, they are described as wicked and worthless. That they may have been great warriors. They may have been great at taking ground and getting the stuff back. They may have been people who did amazing things for God and then came to church and gave a testimony about it but because in their hearts they misunderstood that they were a family that they were a brotherhood that they were connected and that God's heart is generous. They are described in this story as wicked and worthless. Wow. That's a big deal. What's amazing, though, is, is that that's not what David calls them. I mean, by this stage, these guys must have really been trying his patience. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is like, this is probably the same group of people who, you know, two days ago wanted to stone him. Okay? He got them back into their purposes in God. They got the stuff back. And now... They've turned on another group of people. I mean, he was like, Help me, Jesus. <laughs> and the Bible records that these people are wicked and worthless, but David said, You shall not do so, my brothers. Amazing. And the moment when they are behaving least like his brother, 
David still is reaching out to them. See, my brothers. It's a bit like, it reminds me of the moment where the father and the, prodig- the story of the two sons, the prodigal son, when the father steps out of the party to speak to the older brother. He says, you know, I'm not going into that party and why are you throwing this party for that horrible younger son of yours who has just wasted all your money? And the father comes out and he says, my son, all I have is yours. But we have to celebrate. That at that moment where he's behaving least like a son... The father is trying to call him back to his true identity. And it's the same here. David's saying, my brothers, we're we're a brotherhood. You know, we've, we've, we've got to give these guys back their stuff. You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. Because David's perspective isn't really that we did this. Aren't we mighty and awesome? David's perspective is he has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you this matter? For as the share is who goes down into the battle, so shall be the share who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And if you read on in the story what you discover is that not only is the spoil shared evenly among the people who went and the people who didn't, he even sends it to other people in Israel who weren't even involved. If you live on the front line, you can become quite an aggressive person. I taught at a school in my first year of teaching, which was a very difficult environment, to say the least. It was about to close, and the uniform manufacturer had burnt down in suspicious circumstances the summer before I showed up. I kid you not. So the kids just turned up in football strips. And, and what, what, had, what happened is that in, in the morning, like when you got out of your car, closing the car door was like... You know, crossing the Jordan. <laughs> you know, into the land where there were giants. You, you know, you had to kind of like, in the time it took to shut your car door and open, cross the playground and open the front door, you had to almost become a different person. What I noticed was that the people who had been there for like 20 years had just become that person full time. I'm serious. They, they had just become like quite angry individuals with bulging neck veins. <laughs> and if you live on the front line, it can do that to you. When you're taking, you know, things are happening. Oh, I thought things were just getting comfortable. We're changing things again. Oh, you can look, it can be hard. But we have to learn that we're a family. That we're a family. That we are... Whether you... Sometimes we get tired and that's... Do you know why? That's okay. 
Sometimes difficult things that happen and you just feel like, oh, I can't go this time. I'd like to go to battle, but I just, you know, this, in this season, I just know that I need to stay home. And that's got to be okay. It's got to be more than okay. It's going to be so okay that even when the people come back from the frontline thing, the victory is as much yours as it was theirs. Because it doesn't even just belong to you and them, it actually belongs to the whole body of Christ. Because it was God who did this thing, and not us. Because you see, in all of this, and I'm sure some of you have picked this up already, David is just really a type of Christ. Because you see, we were all disappointed people. Or we were working for the enemy. And we were angry and disappointed and looking for someone to blame. And many of us were, were angry and blaming God. And Jesus, he, he kind of absorbed all the anger and all the rocks and all the blame on himself. And he stayed connected to the Father even in that moment. So that he could say, it is finished. The passing on of the destructive cycle of blame and violence ends with me. And he was the one who, who brought us back to life. Like David did with that little Egyptian boy. He was the one who brought us back to life and... and and won our trust. So that we're saying, listen, if, if I can just be with you. Why? Because he wants to get the stuff back for everyone in the whole world. And this morning, I think that God wants people to get their stuff back. And I very, very rarely do this. Um, but I feel as though it's quite important to do this publicly, so I'm going to. Tom Brown. Sorry, I've just scared you. <laughs> um, as I say, I... I'm doing this publicly because I think it, I really felt God speak to me. And I feel like God wanted to say that actually you are this kind of man. You are the kind of man who really in your heart, you are the kind of man who fights battles and wins stuff back. But you've also got this really gentle heart that allows yeah you're tired you can stay it's alright we're going to get it back for you and I feel like actually God wants to say to you that all that has been taken from you he is giving you back everything every last thing every last thing that has been taken everything that has been a negative he's giving you back as a positive Every stolen thing, everything, all of it, 
all of it. And I, I think that he, wanted it to, he wants this to be a public thing because um, in some ways, some of the things that have been taken from you have been taken from you publicly. And so he wants it to be something that is seen and recognized and observed by lots of people that he is saying that he honors you as an amazing man of God who, who is, is courageous and a warrior but is also tender-hearted and in that is that kind of lion and lamb combination. That is who you are. And he is restoring you, you to that original um, image of who he always intended you to be. Okay? And I believe that there are others. There are others here in that situation. And I believe God wants to, to do things with us this morning. So I want to invite you in a second to just respond and come forward. People will pray with you um, if you want and uh, get you back into your destiny, you know, remind you of who you really are and, uh, and get you back out, getting your, getting your stuff back and stuff for the whole world back. But, um, but if that's not you and you, you just want to go and eat cake and have a coffee... You know, if you want to just wait by the stream and, and not go and fight the battle, then that's totally fine. <laughs> Amen.